Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, you already know what we're doing, so let's dive into it. Georgia wins against Vanderbilt on Saturday, but the biggest headline is the injury to Brock Bowers and his uncertain status, at least for now, moving forward. Now, the, I guess, somewhat good news was is that in the immediate aftermath of the game on Saturday, Georgia coach Kirby Smart speaking in what was essentially what, like a construction type trailer or something like that, the entire you know stadium there in Nashville in a total state of disarray. But nonetheless, Kirby Smart speaking in his postgame preference struck a mostly hopeful tone about what he knew about Bowers at the time. This is the closest thing we have right now to an on-the-record update on the Bowers situation. So let's let ourselves here, Kirby Smart, post-game from Saturday. Here's Kirby. It's an ankle sprain. Don't know how severe. Uh, X-rayed it, and they were, the X-rays were negative. Uh, it, was low. it looked like it was lower, but we don't know. Until we get an MRI, we won't know him or trust. Same thing. It's both of them are ankle sprains. Obviously, he's also referencing the injury to Xavier Trust, Monroe Freeling stepping in for him and playing well on Saturday. More on that in a moment. So Kirby Smart says there that it was his belief a lower ankle sprain. A lower ankle sprain is better than a higher ankle sprain because a higher ankle sprain takes longer to recover from. In fact, in this day and age, oftentimes the higher ankle sprain results in what's known as the tightrope surgery. I mean, if you've heard of this before, the in fact, this is what Amarius Mims is going through right now, coming back from that. This has been around football. I was saying this to our first and 15 audience on dognation.com and the Dog Nation app a moment ago. The first tightrope, I think I remember. Now, perhaps they've been around a lot longer than that. I am not a medical expert. I remember Tua Tungo-Vailoa dealing with this before the 2018 National Championship game, kind of post-SEC championship uh, prior to the National Championship. He spent that month kind of coming back from that. That's the first of these that I remember. Perhaps it's been around a lot longer than that. That's just my first memory of it. And it's the kind of thing that football fans have gotten somewhat used to. I certainly cannot tell you for a fact that Bowers will or will not you know, have uh, any kind of surgery that he does or does not have a high ankle sprain. I'm not going to also pretend there isn't plenty of online chatter to that effect. The idea that perhaps the injury situation for Brock is a little bit more serious than what Kirby Smart let on right there. Here is what I can tell you, though. Here is how I process almost all news like this. As someone who's been a football fan my entire life, as someone who talks to football fans for a living, I generally sort of operate on the assumption that there's a little bit of a if you'll pardon the phrase, kind of a fog of war that exists during a football game and the immediate aftermath of a football game, the eyewitness account of what happened on the football field or the early evaluation of who may or may not have gotten hurt during a football game, that oftentimes that kind of stuff proves to be incorrect. That, you know, there's 10 coaches, everybody's watching stuff. There's 85 players or in a road trip like that. There's 70 players. Everybody's doing stuff. And oftentimes there's just a little bit of a fog and a level of confusion about something in the immediate aftermath of what went down. When it comes to an injury situation, it seems like to me, perhaps your own personal experience would cause you to feel differently, but it seems like to me in almost 
the majority of situations at least i almost said more than that but let's just say the majority of situations in the majority of situations when you hear tell about an injury it seems like later on we sort of find out ah, the injury may be a tick or two worse than it was sort of initially described as being if you operate on that assumption i believe you'll be wrong less often than not you've perhaps heard me say this before if you think a player is healthy there's a chance that he's hurt but if you think a player is hurt there's a chance that he probably is and very and and he very likely is uh hurt in that situation if you believe he is there's lots of examples of you know players who are hurt and the team tries to pretend they're healthy there are very few examples i can cite where a team pretends that a player is hurt when he actually is healthy that just doesn't happen very much uh that kind of sandbagging just doesn't seem to go on so if you want to have the safest possible conversation in terms of what george is like moving forward operating on the assumption that Bowers is at least a little bit banged up probably seems like the the right thing to do and so it seems appropriate to ask the question then okay well how does Georgia respond to all of this and kind of what happens next on all of this well first of all to go back to Kirby Smart here for a moment he was asked you know what his immediate reaction was seeing Bowers lying down there and if you're watching on the show you see the photo it was a a, certainly a harrowing scene smart walking over and you know visiting with Brock right there on the field I was you know watching all this play out Brock walked off initially on his own power goes into the tent there in Nashville tended to in the tent and perhaps you kind of cut the tape off and at that point in time perhaps the swelling kind of you know I'm speculating here I'm obviously once again not a doctor but uh you know you cut off the tape and then perhaps at that point in time the swelling just kind of blows up because what we saw and maybe you saw this on TV we definitely saw this inside the stadium uh when Bowers came out of the tent all of a sudden to my eyes he was walking a lot more gingerly then than he'd walked to get into the tent he went underneath the stadium which at first you thought well that's going back to the Georgia locker room and perhaps he used kind of a you know sort of a roundabout way to get to the makeshift Georgia locker room obviously the Vandy Stadium is a mess right now but ultimately the Georgia locker room was actually on the far side of the field away from where the Georgia you know uh uh, sideline was perhaps Bowers was just being tended to underneath the stands there but one way or another we never really kind of saw him back again you know once he went he was x-ray we know that an mri is also going to take place you have to wait a couple of days for the mri to occur because you gotta have the swelling go down to be able to see what you want to see and then if we are headed for some sort of surgery for brock bowers which right now i'm using as an if i'm something simply not going to be able to tell you that for sure and i'm not going to openly speculate about it too much but if it is a surgery situation then my understanding is it need to take place this week for bowers to kind of be on any kind of timeline that would perhaps bring him back at some point in time before the season's done that's just kind of the i guess the overall speculation of what would be like if the more severe Uh, scenario is true in Bauer's case but as far as Kirby Smart's reaction to seeing this this is what Kirby said after the game on Saturday his reaction to the Bauer's injury same thing it does when trust does (laughs) same thing it does when any player does I mean we 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 worry about our players all the time I Christian Miller went down too so uh I mean there's not a lot you can do this game of football right they're going to play tackle and you're going to get injured you're going to have bumps and bruises you're going to have injuries and things that's not we're not going to overreact to it. I mean, so uh, thinking about Brock, but I think he'll be fine. So that's Kirby Smart saying, I think he'll be fine. We certainly hope that is indeed the case. But let's talk about, you know, the idea of Georgia playing without Bowers, whether it's against Florida or perhaps in the regular season stretch that comes up after that or maybe any other game, you know, that Georgia plays here this year. 
Let me give you some good news on this, and then let me give you a little bit more of a realistic scenario on this. Here's the good news is that I think sometimes we as football fans have a tendency to overrate the impact of an individual player's injury. If we think about projections, the point spreads oftentimes are projections for how games are going to play out. The truth is the very best quarterback is worth about seven points to a point spread. Typically speaking, there may be an example in the NFL of a quarterback who's worth more than that. But the very best quarterbacks typically are worth about seven points to a spread. And the average starter, his injury is worth zero points to a point spread. That's not meant to denigrate a player. That's just simply to point out that an individual player is not worth sometimes to an outcome as much as some fans think that it is. We saw an example of this early in the season. If you're active on social media, you may have seen the tweet. Do you know who Josina Anderson is? Former NFL reporter. I don't know what she's doing now. Uh, one of the many in the national media that are openly cheerleading for Colorado. And when uh, Colorado got blown out by uh, Oregon, you know, she was on social media saying something to the effect of, oh, well, let's see them do that when Travis Hunter's playing in the game. Obviously, Travis Hunter, the outstanding two-way player for the uh, Buffaloes. Of course, we know him from the Collins Hill program here in Georgia. And the point is, is that she was, you know, uh, incredible correct in saying that 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 one player the individual Travis Hunter is not going to impact the point spread really at all he's certainly not make up you know 30 40 points of you know difference whatever it was that Oregon beat Colorado you know by a, a few weeks ago that's just not quite the way you know that works out we have a tendency to overrate an individual player's injury in that value as is reflected by point spreads and things like that so if we say well the average player is worth zero to a point spread and a quarterback who touches the ball on every single play and whose success is responsible for the other offensive player's success, if that guy's worth like seven points to a point spread, then Brock Bowers, we would say, is probably worth something kind of in between that. Because for as productive as he is, if Georgia wasn't going to Bowers, they can throw the ball to somebody else, and the rest of the players in the team can at least match some of the value that Bowers provides. But even if still not quite as valuable as the very best quarterbacks worth about seven points to the overall score certainly much better than the average player who's not worth anything at all if you're still talking about like say two three four points of value per game that Brock Bowers presence on the field provides to Georgia when you look at the upcoming slate that Georgia's about to play then you see just how serious Bowers absence could be if this is an extended absence that takes him away from some of these games that Georgia's about to play. We just saw Florida go on the road and win at South Carolina on Saturday. That's the kind of road win that Florida really hasn't gotten very much of. That makes the cocktail party in Jacksonville feel like a little bit more of a significant football game. If that's true for the game against Florida, uh, it's doubly true for the game against Missouri coming up after that. Missouri just won easily at Kentucky. That's an impressive performance from a Missouri team that's having an impressive season. Then Georgia's got games coming up in back-to-back weeks after that against the likes of Ole Miss and Tennessee. Both those teams are ranked. Tennessee won again on Saturday. Georgia's got a very difficult stretch coming up. Four straight games against pretty good teams. And whether Bowers plays or not, my expectation is I think at least one of those games for Georgia will be close. I think one of those games for Georgia is likely cut to come down to the wire given the way that Georgia's played for most of the season, given the way that the four teams that I've just mentioned have been playing for most of the season. At least one of the next four games for Georgia is likely to come down to kind of a final play type scenario, a game that is that close. And if Georgia is three or four points worse but without Brock Bowers than it would be with him, or even a couple of points worse without Brock Bowers than it would be with 
with him, then all of a sudden a close football game, it just sort of stands to reason, is now uh, more difficult to win. So the bottom line is, is if Bowers misses a portion of the next few regular season games, then Georgia's chances of going undefeated in this regular season, I think have gone down a bit here. And I think you do need to take that seriously. That's the value of Brock. And obviously that's why so many Georgia fans are watching so closely to see how healthy he ends up being with the overall prognosis is for Bowers when we get some sort of official confirmation on that. But be that as it may, let me finish this conversation by saying this. There is one thing that you will not hear from Georgia on the heels of this Bowers injury. And to me, this is the thing that makes Georgia, Georgia. Like, I cannot tell you right now, oh, it's next man up. Georgia's going to put the next tight in there, and they're going to keep right on rolling, and they're going to go out there, and they're going to do this, and they're gonna, yeah, you're never going to miss a beat. Georgia's still going to be Georgia. Next man up, next man up, next man up. I think that next man up oftentimes is an overused phrase by football fans, just to be completely honest with you. And I'm not going to undersell the severity if Bowers is forced to miss a period of time here. I do think it makes Georgia obviously a worse football team if he's not in the game. But be that as it may, the one thing you will not hear from Georgia is, oh, that's our excuse. That's why we lost if Georgia were to lose. Georgia's not going to pull what Alabama pulled, you know, post Jamison Williams and John Mechie, the injuries they suffered at the end of the 2021 season. They're not going to pull what Ohio State pulled. If it wasn't for Marvin Harrison Jr., we never would have lost this game. Georgia's not going to do that. This is not an excuse-making football team. It's really not. And if Brock Bauer's not playing, then it has the makings of the kind of thing that some teams would want to use as a potential excuse because we do believe that Brock Bowers is the best football player in the entire sport right now and no team can afford to lose the best player in the entire game without it impacting their performance Georgia's not immune to that either but Bowers absence is not fertile soil for excuses if you're UGA will it make them worse yes will it make winning more difficult if he's not playing absolutely it does But this team is not looking for excuses. This team is looking for opportunities, a way forward and a way around whatever adversity they're given. And the Bowers adversity, if it really is the kind of injury that the Internet tells you it is right now, the online chatter making this sound so serious, if that turns out to be as true as uh, some people believe that it is, uh, Georgia will obviously be facing a very significant challenge. And that challenge might prevent Georgia from getting to where it wants to be at the end of the season. You at least have to face the possibility that that might be true. But if it is, there will be no excuse making for this program. That's for the Alabamas to do. That's for the Ohio States to do. That's for any other bunch of losers to do. There will be no loser talk from Georgia, even if they eventually lose. This is a real thing. I'm not going to undersell this. If Bowers is hurt, that's a problem for Georgia. But this is a program that's also gotten very good at trying to figure out problems. And now they may be dealing with a very big one here moving forward. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that across all other video platforms, radio on app and sports radio, 960 The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them. We'll try to make the show as available as we can on as many different platforms as we can and we're just glad that you're able to find one that it works for you that you use it and we're just so happy to have you with us for the show here today and a big thanks to our friends at pella window and door of georgia for making it all possible as well energy efficient windows and doors that is what pella window and door of georgia is always about and that's what they're about for you right now and this time of year that matters to me it's windy outside getting breezy fall is in the air 
And for some of you, you've got those old windows, you live in an old house, you get the, you know, maybe not the best sealed door, not the most energy efficient door. When it gets windy and breezy outside, you feel some of that kind of coming inside in the form of like draftiness. You know what that feels like, kind of cooler than it's supposed to be. You sort of feel the presence of the outside air when you don't want to feel that. You know what that's all about. Well, that's what Pella Window and Door of George is designed to prevent for you. Also, improving that curb appeal, making your home look better on the outside. That's always a really good thing there as well. And so you've been hearing me say this, and it's time for you to find out what makes Pella such a recognized brand leader in this space when it comes to doors and windows. Have a conversation with one of the Pella experts about that. You can do it virtually. You can do it in-home. They'll come visit you. You can go see them at the Experience Center there in Duluth. Put your hands on the product. Walk through the entire product line, the installations option, if need be, the financing options there as well. It's a no-pressure consultation. It's simply designed for you to understand why Pella Window and Door of Georgia truly is viewed to be the best. Also, great savings opportunities right now, too. Between now and October 28th, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest until 2025. So give them a call. 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Or visit PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Just tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said that they would take good care of you because I know they will. Pella Window Indoor of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, when John Stinchcomb joins us here in a moment, we're going to talk about John's perspective on the Brock Bowers injury. We'll get to that here coming up in just a little bit. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse and I want to talk about the rest of the sort of performance for Georgia on Saturday, kind of away from the Bowers injury. Now, before we're done, I want to highlight two names in particular that I think become really important for Georgia in light of Bowers' absence, no matter how long it potentially lasts. And believe it or not, neither one of these guys are tight ends. We'll talk about that here coming up in just a moment. But before that, around the doghouse, looking outside the Bowers injury and outside the offensive performance here, let's first of all start with this. It was another game for Georgia that was far closer than expectations. Georgia was more than a 30-point favorite here in this spot, and the game at one point in time in the fourth quarter was just a 10-point game. In fact, uh, Vanderbilt had a two-point conversion opportunity to make it a one-score game in the fourth quarter here so this is another game in which georgia not quite you know matching expectations here as we told you going into friday show this was the kind of spot that georgia kind of typically has had some issues with in the past and it's worth keeping in mind for the future that once again i don't care if you bet the game or not but point spreads are a reflection of expectations and georgia is just one in nine in the kirby smart coaching era in the week prior to an off week, there are two outright losses during that span. That's the Vandy game in 2016, the LSU game in 2018, which Georgia lost by 20 points. And you may say, well, okay, but keep in mind that Kirby Smart's only lost, what, 15 times in his entire Georgia career? Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, 15 times. So more than 10% of Kirby Smart's total losses as the Georgia coach have occurred in these games kind of prior to bye week. So that's something worth considering here. And obviously, you know, the only game in which Georgia's ever covered the spread moving into an off week is last year when it blew out Vanderbilt in a game in which Georgia clearly seemed to have a very sharp edge. But more often than not, it's a low-scoring game. It's kind of a boring game. A lot of Kentucky games like that. There was the weird kind of Missouri game in 2017, which was somewhat like that. Uh, 
that that Georgia's had a hard time meeting expectations for whatever reason. Perhaps it's just a coincidence in these games prior to the bye week. This week becomes another example of that. But after the game, Kirby Smart said, listen, I don't care what any of y'all say about going on the road and winning the SEC. He felt like that Georgia had gone into that stadium especially in line of the injuries, and had done its job on the road. This was the very emphatic message to that effect from Kirby Smart after the game on Saturday. I'm really proud of the leadership of the team. There was great guys in that locker room that know we can play better. But look, guys, I'm not going to – I've said it before. I'm not going to apologize for winning on the road in the SEC. I'm, 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 I'm all about it, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, I told him the other day, there's, Braves played 162 games and that was an entire season, and then they had a playoff. Well, for us, we have 12 games, maybe 13, and like every week is a season. We just finished the season, and it was a it was a long week, and it was a, it was a season. And guess what? We're gonna have another two week season now, and uh, then we'll have a one week season, a week one season, and we want to win every season we can. That's that's the goal. So when Kirby kind of brings up the Atlanta Braves there, you're reminded this has not been the greatest week for those of us who are sports fans here in the state of Georgia. The Braves summarily dismissed from the playoffs. Now Brock Bowers injured, at least for some uh, undefined period of time here. So the last week or so for, for Georgia sports fans has not been a particularly good one. But Smart's very clear in his message there. We came on the road. We won. We accomplished our goal. Our sort of, you know, the goal, as every coach says, to be 1-0 and each week, kind of finishing that season, uh, kind of turning the page now. Kirby sort of feels like the team did its job. For fans, they're looking at this, and they see another example of a Georgia defense not quite being what it's been in the past a little bit more vulnerable than normal you know Georgia gave up 20 points to Vanderbilt on Saturday and I gave this in the post-game show and I realize this is sort of heavy on the numeric stuff but I want you to try to get the message that I'm trying to get here I think there's a very good chance that what we see from Georgia the rest of the way might be a defense that's a little bit more in keeping with what's kind of normal for good teams in college football and not necessarily a reflection of the abnormal level of dominance that Georgia itself has kind of shown defensively you know Georgia came into the game on Saturday allowing 13 points per game if that were to be able to be maintained that'd be in keeping with what Georgia has done in 2022 2021 and also in 2019 there as well four straight seasons full seasons anyway we're going to exclude 2020 here for a moment because that wasn't a full year and it's kind of a strange season but four straight full seasons Georgia's trying to complete here where it will have averaged allowing less than 14 points or less per game. That's what Georgia's kind of going for here right now. Georgia a year ago, even after you know giving up a bunch of points to Ohio State, allowed 14 points, 14 points something, but 14 points per game a year ago. But if you go back and look last year, while Georgia was this incredible team, once again, essentially allowing a couple of touchdowns or less in every game almost, the fact is – in a sport that has 130 plus teams playing at the high division one level there are only 15 teams that allowed less than 20 points per game so georgia with this long stretch of seasons in which they're giving up like 14 points per less per game even good teams for the most part are giving up at least 20 points per game defensively that's kind of what normal is in college football even for the good teams and so when we talk about Georgia trying to figure out what its recipe is the rest of the way, and perhaps some of that requiring Georgia to figure out a way to play offensively without Brock Bowers, sort of the additional challenge right now is, is this maybe a Georgia defense that's just a little bit more normal than the sort of super freak version of the Georgia defense, especially in 2021, but even by comparison last year and 2022 there as well. Now, my overall expectations to begin the season for Georgia defensively were much higher than that. 
But right now, and I'm, it's still a good defense, and it's still you know a team. I think that with the combination of what Georgia does on both sides of the ball, that's obviously more than capable of winning a national championship. But it's not the kind of obvious game wrecking unit that can win a game no matter how few points Georgia perhaps scores. That's not quite what Georgia seems to be defensively. Uh, giving up 20 against Vanderbilt on Saturday, small number of plays. A lot of this was red zone issues. The overall yarded stuff for Vanderbilt wasn't necessarily all that eye-popping. There was the one big bust near the beginning of the game. So perhaps you can kind of mitigate against some of this and kind of caveat it you know, a little bit here and there. But the truth is that's more points than you're used to seeing Georgia give up, especially to a not, you know, not quite so great Vanderbilt team. This was a little bit like what normal teams do in a spot like this, where they may have a couple of busts. And they may give up a little bit here and there. And the Georgia defense here this season might be a little bit more, air quotes here, normal than what we're used to it being, because Georgia has not been normal on defense in quite some time. They've been almost superhuman on, the, on that side of the ball, and that's allowed Georgia to find ways to win, even when the offense wasn't quite clicking. But that recipe might not be in place for Georgia here this year, and it's worth to keep that in mind as Georgia moves on to the next phase of its season. That is Around the Doghouse, and uh, this is Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia Today. So we are going to, before we're done today, as said before, get more into what Georgia does if it doesn't have Brock Bowers. Let's just operate on the assumption that for a stretch of time here, uh, undefined as it is, that Georgia may be playing without Brock. Well, who does that create the opportunity for or perhaps who does that create the obligation for to step up and really provide something with Georgia now that Bowers may not be there to provide that? We'll address that before we're done. Also, a lot of fascinating things happen around college football this weekend. A former Georgia assistant taking a lot of heat for some of his decision making. We'll address that. Future Georgia opponents setting up a slate of games for the dogs coming up here that seems a lot more difficult in reality than it appeared to be once on paper. We'll touch on all of that before we're done. But for now, to help us make sense of everything going on with Georgia right now, including where Georgia goes after a Brock Bowers injury, let's do a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update and welcome John Stinchcomb to the program right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. John, I'm not going to lie. We are not in great moods here today, uh, collectively speaking. The Brock Bowers injury has us concerned. Obviously, I can't, you know, confirm, and I'm not medically astute enough to describe, you know, what he's necessarily facing here. But there's plenty of online chatter that's not super positive. You have to acknowledge that. There is obviously the possibility that something like this could linger. Oftentimes, I believe that injuries end up being slightly more severe than sometimes they're initially described as being. That's just the nature of football to me. So let me kind of cede the floor to somebody else here for a moment because I have certainly had my say. What is your initial reaction to the Brock Bowers injury? Uh, <laughs> it's like everybody else. It's upsetting. I, I'm, I hate it for him, but also for this team. I mean, he has uh, become the central figure in an offense that has performed in fits and spurts. And at times you think, man, it looks really dangerous, but – uh, other times it's going, let's just find a way to get it to Brock because I don't know where else we can turn. And losing arguably the, the most uh, complete player in college football is painful for any anybody, but just watching the way the rest of our unit has performed, uh, it's even more biting. So 
first and foremost, you, you hate it for him, but really for this Georgia offense, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's the thing I can't come back to is, and just for the sake of conversation, it seems like it makes more sense to operate on the assumption that this is perhaps more serious than not, because if it turns out to be better news than that, then we'll say, oh, great. Okay, well, Georgia just goes back to being Georgia. But without Bowers, the best that I can tell is, just based on kind of trying to track this stuff over years, this probably makes Georgia on a per-game basis about two, three, four points worse than it would be if, if it had him. And in a stretch coming up, Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, I expect at least one of those games to probably come down to the wire. And I'm not quite so sure which one it will be, but all four of those teams – I mean, Florida, you know, maybe not quite, but but certainly the other three teams are playing a pretty good brand of football right now, and they're pretty good at, you know, figuring out a way to, to move football especially. And so in a game like that, I mean, I do think if Bowers misses this stretch of games coming up, I think that Georgia's chances of finishing the uh, season undefeated, I think you have to say those chances are going down, right? <laughs> yeah, just in general. of You, you just lost the – best player on your team and you're facing the toughest stretch on your schedule I, I, we all recognize that before the season even started I think Missouri has certainly outperformed whatever expectations they came into the season with and and Ole Miss Tennessee very capable Florida is probably not the threat that they have been in other seasons but Still, it's a rivalry game, and we're limping into it. I'm grateful for the bye week. Um, there's there's time to heal, but there there's so many injuries across the board. Offensive line comes to mind, but uh, Brock Bowers, losing him is a big deal. Not only as a weapon, but what he creates for other players is uh, can't be undervalued. Uh, so it's going to be a rally the troops. We've got to figure out ways to create offense uh, without him, and that's going to be difficult to do because he is, you know, with Coach Bobo, you look at the way they've deployed this offense, they've found numerous ways for him to be a factor. Uh, screen game, jet sweep, as a receiver from the tight end position in blocking, uh, it's a big deal. Let me ask you one more thing on this topic, then I want to talk about some other things. What do you know about ankle injuries as a player yourself and perhaps as you've seen the sport evolve, you know, medical technology, things like that? You know, what can you tell us in terms of the way that guys in locker rooms that you've been in have kind of dealt with ankle injuries and what's kind of the range of possibilities here for Brock the best that you can tell? Yeah, well, tightrope surgery is obviously new to me. It wasn't common refrain that would pop up anytime you hear high ankle sprain and now it seems to be pretty commonplace and has accelerated the recovery time for a lot of guys but for any position that cuts it's an it's an issue you know for for you know the the mutters of the world the offense defensive linemen you get a position where a lot of the movement doesn't put as much strain on that ankle as, uh, you know, is a guy who's going to cut in and out of breaks and that kind of thing. But it's one of those where for four plays, it's not an issue. And on that fifth, you just, the way you cut, the way you move, it it's a factor and you feel it. And 
um, that's the, the issue that comes down for a lot of the skill position guys is I can do, I can run a lot of straight at, straight ahead routes and it's not a factor, but you know, if I'm on this in cut or I'm, I have the ball in my hands and I'm trying to make a move, make a guy miss, um, then it becomes a real issue. So it's one of those, uh, like a hamstring, if you will, that a lot of the issues, you know, a lot of the plays aren't issues. And then, you know, it's, it's, the unexpected when you have to go out there and make a, a football move or a play that you're just limited. And yeah, I, I'm grateful that, you know, we've found ways to accelerate the process, but your body still needs time to heal. And there comes a point where you can only do so much and uh, your body just needs the time that it does to, to get back out on the field. Let me ask you this, one more on the Bowers thing, if you don't mind. This is kind of unpleasant to bring up, but I feel like it has to be asked. So we know Brock Bowers, based on the time that I've been able to spend with him. Perhaps you've spent more than I have, John. But I mean, to me, he just comes across one of the best dudes that's out there. And there's no doubt in my mind, given his competitive fire, of course Bowers you know, wants to come back and play. I don't think anyone would dispute that. In fact, I believe he wants to come back as quickly as he possibly can. That's just the kind of guy that he is. But here's the also the reality, John. You know, my understanding is Bowers makes some real money in NIL, which requires some sort of representation to kind of handle all that. This is also a guy that I believe could be a top five pick in the upcoming NFL draft, which means there are potentially a lot of voices weighing in on where Brock goes from here. Do you worry about the idea that while Brock may want one thing, there's a committee of people around Brock that kind of view his financial future and their vested interest in that financial future, and perhaps they have different opinions? I hate to bring that up. It seems kind of gross in light of what we know is an incredibly competitive player, but that's also just kind of the reality of the world in which we live in there as well. Do you... um, would you be concerned at all about what team Brock might think about some of what's going on here? <laughs> uh, I, I, that's a fair question and, and a very legitimate one. We live in a day and age where uh, I read an article not too long ago about a high school football player who is going to forego the rest of his season in preparation for playing in college. So, the appreciation, uh, just in general, this is certainly not Brock specific. Uh, the appreciation for, you know, the commitment you make to your team and and uh, holding that in such a high regard that everything else seems secondary has been put on the table. So, without question, there are those who are going, "Why would you even consider coming back?" I are, are they in Brock's ear? I don't know his camp. I don't know the people around him. I don't know Brock personally. What I do know is everyone that that knows him speaks so highly of his character, his commitment, his work ethic. Every article that I've ever read, every interview that I've heard from him is the selfless um, worker that we seem to know him to be. And it's not a condemnation for others that have made possibly made other choices as to you know, what they value most, and, and it's a very real opportunity uh, that guys are trying to monopolize on and, and take advantage of when they are moving on to the next level. But, uh, you know, I, I don't foresee that being a factor, that people are in his ear saying, hey, 
why don't you just uh, you know pack it up and and wait for the NFL draft because it's real money. Um, you know, I, could it be a factor? Possibly. I don't see that being his case, but it's certainly something that's become a, a major um, concern for anyone in in all of athletics, from high school to to college until they become professionals. And, and candidly, in the locker room, there's there's some guys that kind of pack it in once they get their uh, check or uh, the, the recognition that they're looking for if your team's not succeeding, all of a sudden those injuries seem to, to get worse. But I think that's more of a character issue than what we're talking about here and certainly not applicable to Brock. So moving past Brock for a moment, it's not like the situation beyond that's necessarily all rainbows and roses either right now. Sunshine and rainbows, I guess that's the phrase. Sunshine and rainbows uh, mm-hmm. necessarily either. You know, you've got Land McConkey still dealing with a little bit of a back issue it sounds like uh kendall milton had to leave the game for i guess what you're going to call precautionary reasons there on saturday uh the xavier trust ankle injury is also worth monitoring here too i want to specifically ask you about monroe freeling before we're done but the trust thing is out there um i'm sure i'm leaving something out of significance but boy this this bye week comes at a time in which georgia needs to get as magically healthy as it can over the course of the next two weeks doesn't it no, oh, it's it's a must because we have not seen that elite performance. We do not have that separation from the pack that Georgia had specifically last year. And you know that that's a difficult comparison. It's, it would be tough for any team to be compared to uh, last year's group or, or the year before because there were such uniquely talented and gifted players, and there was an abundance of them. And this year, um, you do not see that separation. You do not see that elite performance week in and week out that we've been blessed and fortunate enough to to experience over these past two years. This Georgia group is still very much a front runner for the national championship. So let's keep that in perspective. The, The comparison to the teams that are out there this year, you have to think that Georgia's got as good, if not a better chance to, to leave as national champions as any team out there. The issue for us is we compare to last year's group and the year before. And that is where, you know, there it, it probably falls short. So you want all your players that that are on the roster to be healthy and available, and that's not been the case. Uh, Not having Ladd, big issue. Not having Brock, even the biggest issue. The offensive line with two starters now, Xavier Truss, originally a guard, Amarius Mims, who uh, we all should be chomping at the bit to get him back. He was performing at the – was our best lineman when he was out there. And we've seen a drop-off in performance from this group that hasn't really been consistent. You know, we're talking about is this a Joe Moore-worthy offensive line group heading into the season. It's something that we were expecting to be a strength, and it's proven to be a little more problematic and has not found uh, that consistency week in and week out that, it's the strength that we, the offense can rely on. So health is a major factor uh, into all of it. And 
you know, I'm grateful for the bye week, but some of these injuries is going to take more than just one Saturday off to get these guys back. So speaking of Monroe Freeling, this is why I love having you on the show. I mean, I like having you on the show for a lot of reasons, but this is where I think you can be incredibly valuable to us because the sense that I get is from what I was watching, I thought it looked pretty good. And it seems like the overall reviews that, that Freeling has gotten stepping in, you know, at the tackle spot the way that he did were pretty positive there as well. But you obviously were able to watch this in a way that I'm not. John, how did you think Monroe Freeling performed? Yeah, well, he, he looks like a young guy who's battling, right? I mean, he's he moves well. Um, he just looks young. We are used to guys being pretty well developed before they're out there. And you know, Ernest Green's a, a good example of a player that um, is still developing while he's on the field. And each rep, each week, you're hoping that he continues to learn and get better um, as he moves along. And from Monroe, you know, you have to be ready. And when your number's called, uh, you the expectation is, especially when you're playing for Georgia, that you go out there and there's not a significant drop-off. Well, you know, I, the, first off, let's recognize Vanderbilt's defensive line is not elite. <laughs> they are they are not great. So one-on-one matchups, I thought Monroe played well. What I see most, and, and really this is both sides, was we're still – struggling to get on the same page and work as a concerted group and when you have as much change as George's had that's a factor but uh, Vanderbilt expectedly so they're moving their group they're they're off the defensive line is is not going to stand in front of you we talked about that with the first four weeks of the season they're the talent level's not the same so what do you do you try to scheme it up and create opportunities and that's part of why in that fourth quarter when Dejon breaks his run and cash same way, it's because, you know, you're, you're willing to take those risks as the Vanderbilt defensive coordinator saying, we're not going to just stand toe-to-toe. And so you're going to have those feast and famine type plays that uh, will we'll shut you down and, and get a tackle for loss. But also, if you catch us, then there's going to be a gaping hole that are your running back can take it for 60 plus yards. Um, so it's, it's just the inconsistency that I see. And that comes with reps alongside of one another and understanding, you know, in pass pro uh, that Vanderbilt defensive line ran a lot of TE games. So the defensive tackles penetrating the defensive end is looping underneath and you have to be able to pass those off. And okay. when you work well, the guard and tackle work well with one another, it's not an issue. You'd almost prefer it that way because uh, it's it's easier to pass off and, and you know what's coming. But when you're not on the same page, when it's not in concert, then there's more penetration and, and your quarterback feels that. And I think we're seeing a little more of those type situations pop up because of the injuries. And uh, the question was about Monroe. So on the one-on-one pass pro stuff and one-on-one run, when they're not moving, he looked more than capable. Uh, it's when working 
in concert with the rest of the group that you're still seeing some effects of uh, just not being on the same page. Let me finish with this, John, real quick. Uh, I know this weekend, such a special time for me because I got a chance to be a part of the induction ceremony for the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. I'm on the board for that, something I'm very proud of. We had a great time last year when the inaugural class went in. Your brother Matt was part of that. And this weekend, you get a chance to have your name called as a part of the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. And I can't tell you personally how happy I am to be able to share that with you. I'm your personal host for that particular event. You don't know that yet, but that is that is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a deserving honor for such a tremendous career. Obviously, we know you as a Georgia Bulldog, first and foremost, for the New Orleans Saints there as well. But also a tremendous player at Parkview High School and really part just of, of a great you know legacy for that program and obviously a part of what's made Georgia high school football special for a long time. So I want to just once again sort of personally congratulate you for a well-deserved honor going into the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame. I am so looking forward to this ceremony here this weekend. Eventually, folks will get a chance to watch on the Peachtree Sports Network, get a chance to see that on television, which will be a great thing. But, John, I just appreciate the privilege of being able to share this evening with you and other great high school football players here in Georgia because it really is a special time for someone like myself who loves the sport here in our state and loves the state there too so really really cool uh experience and john i just wanted to send out a personal congratulations to you here on the show for a tremendously well-earned honor hey thanks brandon you know it's uh just to be recognized in a state known for football there's so many great players that have come through uh and continue to perform at such a high level it's a testament to the the communities and the coaches and just the the competition of it and i look forward to the festivities and actually catching up with some other former dogs that uh that's right i got either played with or came before or after and just uh got to cut their teeth in the game in a in a great state that supported us well and provided a platform for all of us to succeed so it should be a fun weekend and I'm really looking forward to it, so thank you. Well, John, I really appreciate you being on our show here today. Always love talking Georgia football with you. Your insight after a game like this is always tremendous. Thank you so much. Uh, Really appreciate that. See you this weekend there in Atlanta there uh, for the uh, tremendous event, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you back here on Dog Nation Daily again very soon as well. I appreciate it. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yes, so because of the stuff that I do around high school football obviously I love high school football in Georgia uh, invited to be a part of the board for the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame that means I'm one of the folks who get a chance to vote on this and it's really fun to go through that and really it's a challenging process because I mean the state of Georgia has had so many great players over the course of you know now more than a century and we're trying to reflect the full history of Georgia high school football and there's there's parameters for how you get in you know in terms of you know guys you know not currently in their you know playing career that there's all kinds of stuff that sort of makes sense of you know kind of how you're putting guys in and the various eras that you want to reflect here uh the full history of Georgia high school football you want that reflected in this and so when we go through the voting process on this in the summer it's always a big decision for me you're looking at the resumes we have a great collection of historians that help us with that you're looking at at all of this and you're you see obvious no-brainers and you see some other ones that create great debate 
and it's just a lot of fun it's something i'm incredibly proud to be a part of getting a chance to share that with john and his family here this weekend and as we did a year ago and as john said a lot of other great former dogs going in here this week obviously one of those is mike bobo you may have heard that from his career there in thomasville the offensive coordinator going into the georgia high school football hall of fame this weekend among many other georgia bulldogs there as well so we'll talk to you more about that as the week rolls on but wanted to give that special congratulations to john there just for a moment can't wait to share that with him here this weekend now it's time to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean here's what i'll tell you coming up for our golden shoes a little bit later on you're going to see two cruise themed golden shoes uh with folks that were on the dog nation cruise with us and it's just one of the best experiences you can have because i feel like when we're on that cruise you know this time of year to be honest with you it feels like we just never slow down i mean i'm sure you feel that same way during the fall it's a very busy time of the year for most of us it's an incredibly busy time for me there too i had a chance to sit with jeff for a couple of minutes on saturday night after the game and that's one of the things that he and i talk about about how it just seems like there's never any time for socializing sometimes well that's what the dog nation cruise really provides for many of us a chance to socialize with each other but also a chance to get to know and meet folks in our dog nation audience that the busy pace of the regular year just doesn't provide the same opportunity for interaction but you get a chance to know folks on that dog nation cruise and some of the folks we've gotten a chance to know over the years we're going to celebrate here coming up as a part of a couple of our golden shoes here in a little bit but it's also a reminder to me of if you want to have that same fun relaxed experience and i hope that you do that so many of us around dog nation have had the chance to enjoy we want you to be a part of this year's version of the dog nation cruise there as well jessica slater great travel agent she can help you with that you can call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com one more time jay slater at dreamvacations.com she's also put together a great website it's royaldogs.com so you can find out about the entire experience bigger than better than it's ever been before on board allure of the seas that's an oasis class ship one of the largest cruise ships at sea leaving out of port canaveral going to nassau on the bahamas going to perfect day coco Cay, and it's going to be a wonderful experience hundreds of you are going to be on board but we want you to be with them so check out jessica slater the website she's put together royaldogs.com for more on that all right, we're going to get back fully to Georgia here in a moment. Let me begin, though, with a former Georgia assistant, Dan Lanning, in the news after Washington beats Oregon on Saturday. The Ducks had the lead for most of the game. Ultimately, though, a late drive led by Michael Penix, who now I think you have to view as kind of that leader for the Heisman Trophy, or at least in the among the leaders. Caleb Williams and USC obviously lost on Saturday. Bowers' injury situation makes his status somewhat uncertain for an award like this. Uh, for now I think the Penix overtakes last year's winner Caleb Williams and in a lot of the Heisman straw poll stuff like you see Penix is probably going to be the top name on that but as far as the Oregon lost Dan Lanning is taking some heat because Oregon went for it three times on fourth down a couple of those right there near the goal line didn't get any of them and that kind of what is viewed by the media sort of a risky level of decision making one of the reasons that Oregon lost had a chance to tack on points a couple of field goals chose not to do it now let me give you my feelings on this and perhaps this is a little bit contrarian compared to what you're hearing in other places there is an aspect of a job like this that's just sort of you've heard the phrase before monday morning quarterbacking there is a sense in which that's just kind of what we do this is actually a monday morning and there's a lot of well here's what happened in the game and maybe i would have done this and perhaps they should have done that 
there is just an aspect of sports talk and that's kind of what this is whether it's Stephen A. Smith on TV or you know Chris Russo on the radio or you know blowhard like me on the podcast streaming video it's all just sports talk and there's an element of sports talk that's always going to be like it has been for decades a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking and coaches hate that stuff this is why the coaches a lot of times don't like the uh, media because they don't feel like they ought to be second guessed they don't like the second guessing part of it now I've always really enjoyed the whole idea of Monday morning quarterbacking and talking about the games I'll never pretend that I know more than a lot of these coaches do some of them maybe but not certainly not certainly not the ones at Georgia um uh, uh I'll never pretend to know more than these guys but there's still an aspect of hey if you're a football fan it's fun to have the conversation about what you would have done and the Dan Lanning performance against Washington choosing to be aggressive and go for it that's just an a perfect opportunity very ripe for some Monday morning quarterbacking now when I do my own second guessing of coaches here's the one thing I really try to do I really try to be fair and I also think about hey you cannot just judge the results themselves because nobody can control the outcomes all you can control is the process in this particular case, not just because I like Dan Lanning, but I believe because I like the process, I'm going to say I truly like this process. In other words, I think the best way to make the best decisions in game if you're a coach is to automate as much of your thinking as possible. You have to have a certain line of thought that you operate on. I mean, the going gets tough when the bullets are flying during a game, when crazy stuff is happening, you kind of go back to that automated level of thinking. If you'll remember, Kirby Smart sort of addressed a version of this in the past when he's chosen to go for it on fourth down. There are a couple of times during press conference over the course of the years when Smart has said something to the effect of, oh, that decision was made for me years ago, basically deciding when I have a chance to be aggressive, I'm going to. Now, I would say that Smart hasn't always consistently been as aggressive sometimes as I would like for him to be, but, but still, more aggressive more often than not, maybe that's the case. But certainly what Smart's referencing there is the kind of automated thinking that I think coaches ought to have, that, hey, if I'm facing a tough decision during a game, I'm pre-deciding to be aggressive in that moment so I don't have to do too much thinking in that particular spot because there's only so much you can process in the moment anyway and when you're going on the road against a team like Washington that scored as many points as they've scored deciding before the game when the going gets tough I'm going to choose to be aggressive to me that just seems like a reasonable decision plus for those of us who are football fans don't you want your coach being aggressive more often than not and you know, let's say that one of these days that Georgia loses a game, and perhaps it loses a game in part because Kirby Smart chooses to be aggressive and the aggressive decision doesn't work. Gosh, I feel like as a fan, I can live with that a lot more so than the alternative, like what Texas A&M fans are going through with Jimbo Fisher right now, where once again, a guy coaching carefully, almost coaching scared, you might describe, certainly coaching not to lose. I mean, if you're an A&M fan, don't you just hate that? I mean, doesn't that just crawl all over you? Give me the Dan Lanning style over the Jimbo Fisher style any day of the week. Yeah, it didn't work. They didn't get the fourth down conversions, and they didn't get the points they could have gotten had they kicked a field goal. But going on the road to a place like Seattle and beating a team like Washington by kicking a bunch of field goals, that doesn't seem like a very effective strategy either. So when it comes to some of the criticism that Lanning is getting right now, I am not going to join it. He took the blame for the loss, and clearly some of the decisions didn't quite work out. But give me an aggressive coach pushing the envelope more so than the, the opposite any day of the week. Uh, that's the way that I feel on that. Florida beats South Carolina on Saturday in an incredibly high-scoring game. This was the sort of road win that the Gators had to have. They have not gotten very many of these. 
and it's a pretty tough loss for South Carolina here in a season in which they were hoping to build some momentum off what was a very good 2022 season looks like right now for the Gamecocks that's not going to happen let me tell you though beyond Florida just going on the road and perhaps Billy Napier was successful in getting the team more sleep I haven't heard if they they got some good shut eye that's one of the things that he thought they might need more of to do better on the road is better sleep maybe they got that maybe they packed the travel pillows or I always take a fan with me uh maybe maybe they took their fans maybe that's what they had that helped them get to sleep either way whatever it is the road win is not the real story for me here Graham Ertz is playing a little a little bit better football than you perhaps realize the numbers for him on Saturday 423 yards three touchdowns Graham Ertz quietly is starting to put a stat line together for the season that actually does not look too bad. Now, listen, I don't think Florida is much better now than I thought they were before this game. This is still a team that I believe is going to struggle to be bowl eligible and perhaps just be north of that kind of bowl eligible line. But they're also not they're also not a dead team walking either. And we said this. We picked them to go on the road and lose to Utah. Absolutely right. But on the heels of that, we said this would not be a team that was going three and nine or four and eight or something like that even on the heels of a very embarrassing loss in the Thursday night game that everybody watched we sort of knew that Florida was at least better than that they proved against Tennessee I didn't have them Saturday against South Carolina so I did at least get that game right but overall Florida has been more competent than not and maybe by a thread but the cocktail party kind of hangs on here as a somewhat big football game Georgia without its best player you might think uh Brock Bowers more often more likely than not probably not going to play there in that game at least based on the information we have now you know Florida couple of losses but semi-competent I would say the Georgia Florida game right now feels like a real football game uh it's a game I expect Georgia to win and a game in which you know uh you know uh, you know a lousy stinging gators you always expect georgia to beat them but this kind of hangs on as a little bit of a real football game to me right now and when you're thinking about what makes florida at least semi-competent moving into a jacksonville a couple of weeks to be honest with you graham mertz is not playing that bad right now that, that he gives florida a chance to score some points and some points scored against georgia has a chance for the gators to put a little pressure on uga there in jacksonville to do the same this is a real football game coming up in a couple of weeks as all of the next four games on the georgia regular season schedule are going to be so take that away from the florida game against south carolina alabama kind of holds on to beat arkansas a game ended up being close than the experts thought this is when we got right there on saturday and ultimately i don't make too much about this either we call this a heat check game for alabama remember they had you know one at texas a&m blown out both the mississippi schools or at least one convincingly and comfortably against both the mississippi schools we said alabama's not quite good enough to make it look easy the rest of the season they were going to do for the heat check that's kind of what they got sam Pittman's obviously a pretty savvy coach when you know you can't win sometimes you coach so you don't get blown out i think there was some of this against alabama on saturday some pretty careful uh, decision making there to kind of keep it within uh arm's length and ultimately they even kept it better than that you know got they got very close before the game came to an end i don't make too big of a deal about closer than the experts thought against arkansas but it does kind of leave that little thought bubble dangling that perhaps the sec west still has some potential for turmoil turmoil Jaden daniels is playing pretty good lsu just won easily against uh auburn and while you know their hopes of having a very good season have been dashed could they still be a factor in this sec west race giving alabama the loss that sort of turns this into a little bit of a of a 
tiebreaker type thing or, 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 you know, kind of turmoil type thing. At least a little bit of a possibility out there still looms with LSU on that. So Alabama not quite good enough to completely end the competition in the SEC West as of, yeah. And then one more to give you, and we'll get to some of the other results tomorrow. But one more result to give you from Saturday. Let me make mention of Missouri going on the road and handily beating Kentucky. Now, there are a couple of takeaways here on this. Much the same way I said about the Georgia-Florida game, that's kind of a real football game right now. Georgia's going to win, likely, and Georgia's going to be a pretty big favorite still, but Florida's not completely lifeless. Well, Missouri's even better than that. Missouri's only got one loss in the entire season, and that was a little bit of a how'd-they-lose-this-game type performance against LSU last Saturday. They go into Lexington and won easily, and they're going to come here in a couple of weeks, and my expectation is, is that's, once again, a pretty tough football game. And Right now, the way that Missouri uses Luther Burden, I think puts some pressure on the Georgia defense. I do. And if this is a Georgia defense, as I said before, that's kind of a little bit more normal than we're used to Georgia defenses being, that's something to be kind of aware of there is that I think Missouri feels like a little bit of a challenging football game for Georgia here right now. The next stretch of games, I believe, is the kind of stretch that Georgia fans ought to have their eyes open for, really all four of these games, perhaps here uh, coming up. Now, The other thing I'll say is, is that now that Washington's beaten Oregon, you know, kind of putting together a little bit of a deeper stretch of undefeated run here, you're going to hear a lot more chatter about, well, maybe somebody else other than Georgia ought to be number one. That's not really reflected in like the official polls here right now, but some of the unofficial stuff is going to kind of move away from Georgia again after it's kind of been on Georgia here the last little bit. And if you're looking to make the case against Georgia, one of the things you might say is, well, Georgia's big signature convincing win right now is against Kentucky, and yet Kentucky could not hold serve very well against Missouri on Saturday. I don't necessarily make too much about that. I mean, my overall argument is is that most of the people talking bad about Georgia don't have any real skin in the game. In other words, it's one thing to say, well, I think so-and-so ought to be ranked number one. But there are plenty of states that you can fly to and bet against Georgia if you want to. Those same people that shoot off their mouth don't exactly back it up with their wallet. Just notice that. And for a team that's won two straight national championships, I believe they ought to get a significant benefit of the doubt until they prove unworthy of it on the field. Uh, But nonetheless, the chatter is going to persist. And the sort of current status of Kentucky, the one really super convincing win Georgia has, at least gives some fodder for the naysayers here right now. You have to acknowledge that. And by doing so, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, here in our program, let's bring it back to Georgia here uh, just for a moment. But before that, let's also give a shout out to our friends at Dr. Pepper. I got to tell you, long drive coming back from nashville on saturday for me a tiring weekend and i i love these football weekends but sometimes the travel's a little tiring so you better believe right there in the drink holder next to me i had my nice uh uh cold i drink it like a diet dr pepper typically speaking i also like dr pepper zero sugar as well uh but sometimes it's just kind of the old school diet dr pepper for me either way you better believe i'm just going one run after the other you know <laughs> Not so many that I have to go to the bathroom 16 times, but enough to kind of keep me fueled up and ready to go for the rest of the trip. That's what I'm all about right there, because uh, we do believe that Dr. Pepper is the one the fans deserve. Me, especially uh, this time of year uh, when I'm driving down the road, traveling from high school to, to wherever Georgia's playing and then back home again. A good bit of Dr. Pepper with me right there in the car absolutely makes the trip go by so much better so uh, when you're going shopping this week at your local kroger wherever you're going to get stocked up on all the stuff you need don't forget to stock up on some dr pepper there as well because it is the one fans deserve all right back to georgia here for a moment 
So let's operate on the assumption that Brock Bowers misses at least a little bit of time for Georgia. Question becomes, what do you do then? Well, obviously, some of this becomes about the other tight ends in the Georgia roster. I'll give you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, there's this. I like everything about Oscar Delp. I really do. Delp's a guy I like having on the field. And I think he's certainly a capable blocker. Is he Darnell Washington putting people in the stands? Maybe not as of yet, but that's also perhaps not a fair comparison. Is he more than capable of, you know, lining up across from an opposing player and doing what needs to be done? I think we're seeing the answer to that is yes. He's also the kind of guy that you don't feel bad about throwing the ball to either. I like Delp on the field. Lawson Lucky seems to be coming back at a pretty good time for UGA. Lucky's a guy that got very good reviews back during spring prior to the season starting. This is a playmaking style tight end. And given a couple of weeks to prepare for a team like Florida that really hasn't seen Lucky, can Georgia get very creative in how it wants to use him? In other words, for a guy that you might say, okay, well, does he go out there and maul guys where the Delp does? Perhaps right now he doesn't. Does he know the full breadth of the playbook the way that somebody else perhaps does that's been here longer? Maybe right now he doesn't. Can you design something specifically for him to get the kind of big play that you might need at some point in time during a game because of the skill set that he possesses and the lack of knowledge that certain teams might have about him? Maybe that's the case. So that's kind of the story at tight end. But ultimately, I believe the Bowers injury, if it persists for a while, I believe it becomes about more than just the tight end position. And ultimately, I believe the guys that you're going to be looking to here are actually not tight ends. For instance, the one guy who I think has the chance to come the closest to matching Brock from a playmaking standpoint is Ladd McConkey. When McConkey is in there, we've only seen him for short bursts here this year. When he's in there, though, this is a guy that moves the chains. And obviously last year was a part of so many big plays for Georgia, probably second only to Brock in terms of total number of kind of playmaking moments for Georgia season to go. And so if you don't have Brock for some extended period of time, finding a way to get more out of McConkey is going to be paramount. And Saturday provided you both the kind of the hopeful belief that can be true, but also the stark reminder that McConkey in his own right is not fully healthy right now. This is what Smart said about Ladd after Saturday's game. Yeah, I thought that was huge confidence for him, for our team. I think Carson trusts him. Um, I think he felt much better today, but, you know, it's just day to day because he doesn't get to practice uh, during the week. So we're, we're, we're trying to find what that rhythm is you know is it a midweek one practice and then recover is it you know how much does it set him back when he plays and um, we won't know that till tomorrow I, it's just hard to for the offensive coordinator to figure out how to use a guy if he's not at practice oh wow so he's not able to practice during the week like you're monitoring him just because of the back like he's not a full go due to that he's not a, he's not a full go every day at practice he does what he can so let's be realistic about all this. A playmaker went healthy, but if he's not practicing every day, he's not fully healthy. And if he's not fully healthy, then you'll always be a little bit unsure of what you're going to be able to get from him on game week. But if you can get him healthy, some sort of magic wand to wave over that back, that's the guy that can come the closest to replicating some of the value that Bowers provides. And when I said earlier in the show that Bowers' absence is probably worth about two, three, or four points to Georgia – that's why it's not more than that because if you've got a guy like uh, McConkey, then he can replace a percentage of what someone like Brock Bowers is capable of providing that's just kind of how that works out but the other guy that I think becomes a lot more important is Dominic Lovett now here's the deal about Lovett 
Lovett had nine catches on Saturday. Some of those smart kind of calls the extended runs. I'm not going to get too deep into that. I think that's kind of, I don't know, in the weeds a little bit. But just basic counting stats, had nine catches on Saturday. And that's the kind of guy that, A, had big expectations coming into the season and potentially big value the rest of the way for Georgia. Thus far, if we're being honest, excuse me, Lovett has probably been a little quieter than some of us assumed that he would be. But the reason why that's true is perhaps what we also talked about before the season began, that Georgia has great tight ends. Even without Darnell Washington and whatever else, this is still a team that's incredibly deep at tight end, and this is a team that's been incredibly successful in those two tight end sets. The idea they're just going to stop doing that because all of a sudden now they have a potentially productive you know, slot receiver, that's not necessarily the case. But if Bowers is not playing, you can play you know, Oscar Delp at what sort of seems like a more of a traditional type tight end role and when you know Brock spends half the time kind of lined up wide anyway well that's the spot you can kind of put you know Dominic Lovett in and you know perhaps you know the nine catches for Lovett on Saturday are a precursor of what can come the rest of the way for him and perhaps you need that to be true if if he can stand in the spot that Bowers once stood kind of detached from the offensive line there in kind of a slot type role clearly that is where Dominic Lovett thrives we saw some of that from him on Saturday and Kirby Smart also offered the evaluation once again around the idea of you know these are short passes essentially extended handoffs uh Smart on that topic after the game on Saturday he's been a good extension and we've really uh tried to get him to believe in that that is exactly what it is. It's a run. There's no need to dance, no need to juke, no need to stop because they're coming. I can promise you they're coming. You need to get two to three yards after contact, and if we get you seven or eight, uh, and I thought we started the game off with Dylan Bell doing that today. I mean, there were several times that the ball's in space and uh, making people defend the entire field is frustrating, you know, for a defense. So let me finish up today with – a realistic assessment and also kind of an optimistic assessment of where things might go for Georgia. Here's realistic. If Brock Bowers is not playing for an extended time, it is obvious that Georgia is not as good as it would be. Full stop. That's just obviously true. But more of Dominic Lovett, more of Ra Ra Thomas, enough from Oscar Delp, a little insertion of Lawson Lucky, uh, Marcus Rosemey Jackson. While you're not as good as you could be, could you still be as good as you need to be? I think the answer to that question can still be yes. All right, some golden shoes to wrap up here today. And we told you a couple of these are cruise themed. How about our buddy Ness Ball Design? Now you talk about there's nowhere on Saturday I would have rather been than Nashville for the Georgia Vanderbilt game, even that dump of the stadium. But if I could have been somewhere else, Perfect Day Coco K would be a pretty good option. Well, Ness writes in, and he was on our Dog Nation cruise. He says, B.A., we're thinking of you at our perfect location. Perfect day, Coco K. I'm glad for free internet so I can watch the games. How about that? Uh, enjoying that uh, that internet there. And uh, obviously, uh, Royal Caribbean taking good care of folks there on that. The the Zoom internet. Or is it Vroom or Zoom? I think it's Vroom. Excuse me, it's Vroom. <laughs> our friends at Royal Caribbean are going to be mad at me for saying the wrong thing. But I believe it's Vroom internet. Uh, Zoom is a totally different thing. Anyway, Ness, we enjoying the Georgia game. Uh, right there, perfect day, Coco K. You love to see that. And speaking of cruise-themed golden shoes, our buddy William Perry sent this. A great collection of our uh, Dog Nation cruisers, he says, on hand, golden shoe-worthy. Dog Nation cruisers here in Nashville. William, you are so right about that. You love to see all of that. Uh, golden shoes all the way around. Then I think one more golden shoe today there as well. Speaking of folks on a great vacation, how about Josh 
Josh Henry writing in to say, I'm not sure if there's an official submission process for the Golden Shoe Award, but I wore my Dog Nation shirt while vacationing in Zagreb, Croatia yesterday in support of the dogs as they hashtag go for three and 23. I thought you might appreciate it. You better believe that I do. How about that? The Dog Nation t-shirt in Croatia from Josh. That is an incredible thing to see. And I can tell you, You have no idea how much stuff like that means to me. When you guys go on fun trips, you send photos to us, or when you go on these fun trips and you show off Dog Nation wherever you go, y'all, that means more to me than you would ever possibly be able to know. So thank you so much, Josh, and everybody else who sent in those golden shoe submissions, William and Ness and everybody else. Really, 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 really fun stuff. Now, Gator Hater Countdown, lousy stinking gators, dogs closing in on them 12 days from right now with Brock Bowers, without Brock Bowers, whatever. Georgia going to be ready to go down to the cocktail party and come back with another win. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia.